Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. As clinicians, we spend a decade or more as trainees learning to take care of patients. When we finally start our careers, we want to build research programs, but then we find that our years of clinical training did not adequately prepare us to lead a research program. Through no fault of our own, we struggle to find mentors, and when we can't, we quit. However, clinicians hold the keys to the greatest research breakthroughs. For this reason, the Clinician Researcher podcast exists to give academic clinicians the tools to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. Now, introducing your host, Teosi Onwemina. Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Nwemina, and it is a pleasure to be talking with you today. Today, I'm talking about creating your first biosketch, or maybe it's not your first biosketch. You're updating it or, or revising it or tailoring it to a specific application, but I'm talking about the biosketch today. And the reason I'm talking about the biosketch, you know, it's not a topic that I was thinking of creating an episode for, but over the last few weeks, I was submitting a grant. And as part of this grant, it's not the biggest grant I've submitted. It's probably like a small to medium average size grant. And I needed collaborators to send me their bias sketches, specifically people who had volunteered to be site investigators for the study we're proposing. And what I recognized is that many clinicians have not had the opportunity to either create a bias sketch or to really optimize their biosketches to really tell a great, great story. And I wanted to just come and share my thoughts about how to create a biosketch. Clearly, I'm not the first person to talk about this topic, but I will share my thoughts and definitely get as many resources as you can to help you in doing a great job in creating your first or updating your current biosketch. So the first thing is why? Why do you even need a biosketch? <laughs> why? And if you've been submitting grants before now, you probably know why you need a biosketch. However, it's variable, right? Because some grant opportunities will ask you to submit a CV and they do not necessarily ask you to submit a biosketch. Sometimes it's optional. You can submit a CV or a biosketch. But Many times when people are thinking about submitting a biosketch, it is within the context of grants, of grant writing. Sometimes if you are fortunate to have um, applied to a career development program that may not even necessarily be a grant you're submitting specifically, they, they might ask you to create a biosketch as part of that. And one of the great things about these career development programs that ask you to create a biosketch is because they force you to do it before you have to do it. And the whole point of creating a biosketch, the whole point of creating biosketch is to really be able to create a short document that summarizes your contributions as a scientist, that summarizes your qualifications and your contributions as a scientist. And sometimes when people are starting out in their careers, there's a sense that, wait a minute, I haven't made any contributions. I'm just starting out. I've barely written a manuscript or two. Or maybe you've written five manuscripts and you're like, well, it's just five. How can I say I've contributed anything? 
And I will tell you that as long as you are a physician who has been trained, who has gone through, even if you're still going through residency, because there are bias sketches for non-fellowship applications, there are bias sketches for fellowship applications, whether you're pre-doc or post-doc. So there is a bias sketch for you. And if you are somebody who's considering doing research in any way, shape, or form, you've got something to say and you need to figure out how to say it. So the bias sketch is important as an important summary of your contributions to science and your qualifications to lead a program or at least to contribute to it. And it's an important document. It's 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 kind of like the the language of 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 the of the presentation of the scientist in a grant and and in other things as well. So if you have not yet created a bias sketch, you should, because it's also a great way to kind of summarize your contributions in a way that allows you to talk about it. And so, yes, you can talk about your contributions without creating a bias sketch, but you usually cannot submit major grants or even small grants without the bias sketch. So the bias sketch is important. And many times, even if you're not necessarily leading your own research program, if you're contributing to somebody else's program and you are a named person in the grant or at least a significant contributor in some way, you will need to provide them with a bias sketch. So the bias sketch is an important document to have. If you are listening to this podcast and you're interested in in growing your career as a clinician scientist or you're already a clinician scientist, then you definitely, definitely should have a bias sketch. So why do you need the bias sketch? It is a great summary of your qualifications and contribution to science. Okay, very good. Let's move on to number two. (laughs) Number two is to create the bias sketch before you need to. Create it before you need to. So usually, many times, bias sketches are required as part of grant applications. And usually you're not, if you've never created one before, if you've never updated your bias sketch in a long time, when it comes to a specific grant that asks you to submit a bias sketch as part of it, and definitely any NIH grant submission, then it's time to create the bias sketch. And usually that's not the best time to create a bias sketch for the first time. However, <laughs> there is no there is no bad time to create a bias sketch. If you have to do it for the grant submission, it's it's great. Whatever reason prompts you to create a bias sketch is a good reason. The reason not to wait until you have a grant submission to create the bias sketch is that you know what? It takes time to create a good bias sketch. And what you don't want to do is to be creating it for the very first time when you actually need it to represent you in a grant application. And invariably, especially if you're just writing your first series of grants, you do not know. You don't you do not know just because of experience how long it takes to submit a grant application. Even the smallest grants come with multiple components and there are parts of the grant that other people have to review or sign off on so that you always have to start early. But when you first start grant writing, you tend to underestimate how long it takes to pull all these documents together. I have I have clients who are writing grants for the first time and they they finally pull all the pieces of the grants, all the pieces that are needed and finally like come face to face or come to terms with how much is needed and they are overwhelmed. Grants are just, you know, collections of different documents and many of them take time to create, especially if you're creating them for the very first time. So it can be quite overwhelming. And you don't want at that point just to be starting your bias sketch because it means you're going to rush through the bias sketch. It's not going to represent you well, and it kind of misses the point of representing your science. So you want to create a bias sketch before you actually need to. So 
You want to create the bias sketch before you actually need to create the bias sketch. Okay. The second thing is to find an example bias sketch. Find an example bias sketch. So in general, there are is if there's any scientist you know, any clinician scientist or even a PhD scientist who has submitted a grant, they have a bias sketch. Usually you can reach out to your senior investigators and say, hey, I'm creating a bias sketch for the very first time. Please share information with me about your bias sketch. And what you're asking them to do is to share the bias sketch with you, not so you can copy their bias sketch. Please do not copy their bias sketch. <laughs> but you want to get a sense of what a bias sketch looks like. That's what you want. And now, as with many things in science, the, the easy answer is just copy what your senior person is doing, either your mentor or one of your mentors or your division chief or your chair. Copy something, copy a bias sketch of somebody who's done great. First of all, you can't copy it because clearly they have a different scientific career than you do. Um, but even using it as a template, it, it's it's fine to do that. And just saying that these the the specifications for bias sketches kind of change. They evolve a little bit over time. And the more senior a scientist is, sometimes the, the, the less they have updated their bias sketch to, to match the current formatting. And in general, everybody has to update their bias sketch and it has to match. But there are some nuances and the rules do keep changing just a little bit each time. So definitely get the bias sketch of a senior person, someone who's ahead of you. So by senior, they don't have to be like, you know. A, a professor of medicine or something like that. It could just be senior as in someone who submitted a grant or two. So, but you definitely want to get an example. So you get a sense, not so you copy it, but so you get a sense of what it looks like. The reason you don't copy it is you want to get the most up-to-date information or the most up-to-date recommendations for the grant submission. And depending on where you are in your career, you may need a fellowship by a sketch or a non-fellowship by a sketch. Or if you're pre-doc or post-doc, there are a few nuances to how the bias sketch is actually formatted. So it's not it, it, how the bias sketch is actually formatted. So it's not as simple as just copying a bias sketch, but definitely get somebody's bias sketch as an example and then set it aside. Don't copy, just set it aside <laughs> and create your own first. Okay. So the first thing is to create it before you need to. Number two is to find an example bias sketch. Number three is to create the first draft. Now that sounds simple and straightforward, but it actually is not necessarily so simple and straightforward. Now, there are different ways to create a first draft. The, the one I don't recommend to start off is just finding somebody's bias sketch and copying it kind of verbatim and then, you know, installing or inserting things that are relevant to you where, you know, things are things differ. So you can do that. And it's one way to start it. But it's starting point. OK, it's a first draft and you can do that. Just go through and where they say education and training, you know, your own education and training, you put all that in. Where it says personal statement, you can't copy their personal statement, but at least you have a sense of how they put it together. Physicians, scientific appointments and honors, contributions to science. At least you start to get a sense of how they're putting it together. So create the first draft. So I don't recommend copying because it depends on on where you are in your in your career as far as what you what the specifics of your bias sketch should look like. But create the first draft. So my recommendations are to either use the science CV tool from PubMed or to go to the NIH grants website and download a draft, like an example version of what your bias sketch should look like. Okay, so let's talk about the Science CV tool. So if you go to pubmed.gov, it's pubmed.ncbi.nlm.nih.gov, or you can just Google it 
and you find PubMed and go to PubMed. And then there is an option in the right topmost corner that says login, or perhaps you're already logged in. If you're logged in or you can create a new account if you don't already have one, and then you log into your dashboard. And in your dashboard at the bottom right corner, usually, if you have other things in there, sometimes you don't, and it's not in the bottom right, but it's usually on the right side. And there's a tool called Science CV, and there's an option to manage your Science CV. And then you can go in and create a new document. And when you go to create a new document, it really does help you kind of step-by-step walk through the process of creating a document. And I recommend it as just, again, this is just the first draft. You're not looking for a pretty by a sketch. You're just making a first draft, putting things on paper. And so the Science CV tool is useful to go through and just put in all the things that you need. You don't have to, so this is the point at which you're not necessarily trying to shape the document and make the personal statement exactly beautiful or make the contribution to to science exactly beautiful. You're just getting things on paper so you can get a first draft, okay? So very, very rough draft, filling all, fill in all the pieces and then export the document. And I think you have a couple of options for exporting the document. You can export it as a PDF. You can export it as, as, a, as a Word document. And there might be one or two other options, but export it as a Word document because you are going to edit it. You're not going to take your science CV and 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 just accept whatever first draft they should out shoot out at you because for 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 a simple reason you you do need to tailor a little bit and tailoring within the tool is not as easy as tailoring on a piece of on your on the actual document but the other piece of that is that the formatting is not beautiful and I'll tell you that whatever document you ever create for a grant needs to be beautiful you need to look at the document and feel like oh this looks good mm, the formatting looks good you, you you really need to love the way it looks. And the reason you need to love the way it looks is because it, it presents, it, you know, gives a nice presentation and it just says something good about you. You know, sometimes, many times when people are talking about grant writing, they talk about all the things you should do to not annoy the reviewer. And, you know, I think it's great to not try to annoy the reviewer, but what a low goal in life to live life writing grants just so that you don't annoy people. I would recommend kind of like a higher, a higher goal, you know, to write a grant you're proud of. <laughs> <laughs> write a grant you're proud of. And at the end of the day, it will also not annoy the reviewer, which is great, but that cannot be your goal, the goal of not annoying the reviewer. So yes, if you have a bias sketch that's well put together, you won't annoy the reviewer. But more importantly, you want a document that you are proud of, that you look at and you think the formatting looks good. So anyway, let's just say that the Science CV document, usually when you create it the first time, has the formatting could be better and you have an opportunity when you download it to actually update that formatting. So that's the science CV as one option. The other option is just to go to the NIH grants website. That's grants.nih.gov. And there is, you know, the biosketch there, there's, there's a, a link to actually create a biosketch. So it's actually grants.nih.gov slash grants slash form slash biosketch. And I will put the link in the show notes, but if you go there, what it does is it gives you the most updated biographical sketch format for the current form. So NIH is always changing its rules as far as like what is needed for a grant application. And so they're always updating the biosketch. And, and it may even be that the biosketch doesn't change. But what they do is they update the expiration date of the biosketch, usually on the top right hand side of the page there is a date of expiration of the current biosketch. So you always want to make sure that your biosketch is on the 
most up-to-date form, or at the very least, not in a form that's expired. And so this page, the grants.nh.gov page, I love because it just tells me what is the most current biosketch, what are the most current rules. And what I love about it is that it actually separates your biosketch into the different, it, it separates biosketches into the different the different types of biosketch that are, biosketches that are needed. For example, if you are submitting a biosketch for a fellowship type application, there's a specific type of format that you need, as opposed to if you're submitting for a non-fellowship application. And if you're submitting for a fellowship application, there's the pre-doctoral version and there's a post-doctoral version. So I love looking at the biosketch example in the grants.nh.gov page, just because it's just very clear which one you need. And it gives you examples too, which is so awesome. So that never copy a person's biosketch, but if you're going to copy anything, at least kind of look at the example that they give you on the biosketch on the NIH website. And that's helpful because usually it's up to date and consistent with the current formatting. So those are two ways to create your first draft using the science CV tool or going to the NIH grants website to get a blank page that you can use or to at least see their example that you can update as well. Okay, so now you have created your first draft. Let's talk about the components of the first draft of your biosketch or the components of a biosketch at all. So the first series of questions is kind of like the, it's a demographics, so to speak. Yes, it's a demographic page. So your name, your ERA Commons username, and this is a point at which if you do not yet have an ERA Commons username, you go create one. And definitely, if you don't know anything about creating one, talk to someone at your institution who's done this before. Usually an administrative person may be the best person to talk to, or even your library. Oh my goodness, the library is such a great resource. And then they ask for your position title. So maybe you're a postdoctoral fellow, or you're an assistant professor of medicine, or you're an instructor, whatever it is, that's, that's your position. And then your education and training, and that's pretty straightforward. And usually you'll put in like your major academic degrees. And for physicians, you put in your, your, your training. So your internship and your residency and your fellowship training, if you're fellowship trained. And if you've had like a certificate or a, a master's degree since your training, all those things will go in there. That actually is pretty straightforward. The next section is the personal statement. And the personal statement is just it's just that, a personal statement. So if you're a physician, you'd be writing personal statements at the very least since you applied to med school and personal statements continue. But this personal statement is very specific to your research. Why are you qualified to do the to do this work that you're proposing to do? And, and what, why, you know, it's, it's really about your qualifications to do the research. And then a little bit about the particular application this particular grant proposal or whatever the reason you're submitting your bias sketch. Why, why, what, what, for what reason is this, are you well suited to the work? Okay, so that's your personal statement and we can talk about it a little bit more, but really the personal statement really should be tailored to the grant opportunity. And so one of the things about creating a first draft is that you create it first, right? Then you have a draft, but every time you go to update your bias sketch, you go to submit it, the personal statement really needs to be updated to reflect that particular opportunity. So in general, it may not change much, but I would argue that for every grant opportunity, you need a new personal statement. And <laughs> it feels like a lot to create a new personal statement for every grant opportunity because 
you you should be submitting your uh, a, a lot of grants, but you know you probably will be eventually, even if you're not yet. And so it's like, wait for every opportunity. I'm going to update or write a new personal statement. The general trend of your personal statement will stay the same, but as you progress in your career, and depending on the opportunity you're applying for, your personal statement is going to need to change. And so what you're talking about when you are maybe pre-fellowship or or pre-doc versus when you're postdoc, it changes over time and your contributions change or they have more meaning or there are other things that you can add in there. And so the personal statement really needs to grow to reflect your growing stature as a scientist. And you may be like, stature, I have no stature. Yes, you do. And you've got to be imaginative and creative as to how you bring all of your experiences into the personal statement. And so the personal statement is a really important piece of your of your bias sketch. Actually, maybe one of the most important pieces of your bias sketch, because it's really your opportunity to tell your story of how you're qualified to do the science. And even if you do not feel qualified, actually, you do need to feel qualified. You need to workshop feeling qualified so that you can project your qualifications. And if you're in the place where you're like, I don't really feel qualified and I don't know what to say, you do need to stop. And talk to someone to help encourage you, to help you think through how all of your qualifications come together for that particular application. And I will tell you that you are always qualified, (laughs) always qualified. Now, it is up to the reviewer to decide if you're qualified enough for this particular application. But from your perspective, writing the personal statement, you are always qualified. And you want to make sure that you build the personal statement to demonstrate and to highlight your qualifications And if you cannot do that, you need to sit down with someone to talk through how to best do that in light of all the things you've done. And even if you say, I have never even published a paper, I'm just telling you that if you've been through medical school, residency, fellowship, you've got something to say. (laughs) And you find a way to say it and have somebody else help you workshop that if you have difficulties. Okay, so that may be the hardest part of the bias sketch. And there's a position, scientific appointments and honors. And this is where you get to, uh, you know, say where you are right now, how many other appointments you've had. This is where you get to put in your honors, any awards that you've received, but also your licensure and certification. Those are all important as well. Contributions to science. Okay. So this can be a part of the bias sketch that's difficult. It was difficult for me when I first started because I was like, I barely contributed anything. (laughs) And you've always contributed something, especially if you've written a publication. But even if you haven't, if you have presented an abstract, if you've been part of a publication, if you've been part of an abstract publication, if you've even written a book chapter, you've contributed to science in some way. And this is just an opportunity to 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 highlight your contribution. Again, as with the bio sketch, when you write your contribution to science, You cannot start from a position of, oh, goodness, I'm barely qualified. I have no contributions because that's exactly how you show up with your bio sketch. But if you think about how can I best highlight my contributions, that's the great starting point. And I invite you to start from that perspective of how can I highlight my contributions? That means you're saying I have them. Now I need to figure out how best to shape that story. So you have contributions as long as you've done anything related to science, as long as you have done anything as far as published or presented an abstract or being part of an, or been part of an abstract, you've contributed to science. And even if you're not, you haven't even done that yet, and you're just in somebody's lab or you're in somebody's research program and you've helped with an experiment, you contributed to science. 
And so what you have to do is figure out what have your contributions been and how do you shape them, okay? So again, these are the kinds of things that you should sit down and talk with someone about. And it would be really nice if you have a research mentor to sit down and talk with about this. One of the things about our research mentors is that they did this so long ago, they may not even be the best person for you to sit down and talk with about doing this piece to start with. I would say probably what I recommend is finding a near peer mentor, somebody who's done this within the last two to three years for the first time to ask them about how they structure their contributions to science. Senior mentors who have like made what 50 or upward of 50 or greater than 100 publications or more really have a different experience as far as writing their contributions to science versus someone who's maybe contributed three or four publications. And so that senior person may not be the best person to help you because they have a different you know, thinking about their contributions versus someone like you who's a little further behind or at least not as far ahead. You don't think of yourself as behind. You think of yourself as just not having gotten to that point yet, which is two, uh, there's two different ways of looking at it. Okay. And then if it's a fellowship application, they may ask you for your scholastic performance. If it's a non-fellowship at some point in the application, you're also putting kind of like your recent maybe awards that you want to highlight in the last three years. And, and there are many, many other things a few other things to consider. But those are the main sections of the biosketch. And you want to make sure that you have something for each of those. Okay. The next thing I want to share is that you do want to tailor your biosketch to the opportunity. The piece that's easiest to tailor is the personal statement, but it's not the only one. And I would say that if you literally are taking one biosketch and just changing it from application to application to application, and just like, you know, editing, tweaking the personal statement a little bit, that, that, you know, it's okay. It's, you know, it's the way many people do it. But I would tell you that what you really want to do is to go through each part of your biosketch, especially the contributions to science and the personal statement, personal statement being number one, to say, is this still the way I want to highlight my contributions? And to be honest, it does change because, for example, if you're submitting a grant in one area and your, your personal statement reflects certain citations that are related to that area, when you go to submit for another opportunity, you might have different publications to highlight, which may change some of the contributions you've highlighted later in your biosketch. So it really, every, every biosketch needs to be tailored to every opportunity. Now, if you are a supporting person and you are not necessarily the person submitting the grant and you're supporting somebody else's grant submission, either as a site investigator or as a collaborator, perhaps you don't need to put in as much work as the person who's like actually who's, who's really selling the their their qualifications for the grant opportunity, but you should still tailor it. You you should still. So for every opportunity you will. I think I'm thinking about how much investment, how much time it takes to tailor a biosketch to an opportunity. It takes time. Sometimes it could feel like creating the biosketch for the very first time. And I would say the more you are lead on a project as PI or as a co-PI or as an MPI, the more you should take time to sift through and see that your biosketch actually says, presents your science, presents your qualifications in the best light possible. So definitely tailor your biosketch to the opportunity. At a minimum, you should tailor your personal statement. But in general, you should be tailoring the whole biosketch. Okay. The last thing I want to just highlight is that your, your personal statement of your biosketch should tell a great story. It should tell a great story. And here's the story it shouldn't tell. Don't tell the story of, oh, goodness, I 
I have barely any qualifications. I barely know what I'm doing, but please give me the, the funding. You really do want to present yourself in the best possible light. Now, something that can be difficult, especially if you are asking for kind of your first couple of, of funding, of grant funding opportunities, you're, you're submitting your first for your first proposals or you're submitting a proposal for a career development award, you want you don't necessarily want to project that you're too qualified. So there is a little bit of a nuance there. But what you don't want to do is say, oh my goodness, I have absolutely no experience and please save me by giving me this opportunity. You really do want to say, here's how I've really shone in the things that I've done. And here are the gaps that are still needed and how this application will help me. So you are going to be writing it a little bit differently if you are asking for career development mentor type award, as opposed to if you're asking for an award as a leader of a project who's not necessarily who's not necessarily asking for mentoring. So you do want to tell a great story with your personal statement and you want to highlight yourself as competent and qualified. And 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 if for you that's very early on, it's saying in my residency program, I have the opportunity to participate in XYZ project. I moved this project forward in my fellowship and I presented at this meeting. So there are always opportunities. There is always an opportunity to highlight what you've done in a beautiful light. And it really does come first from believing in the work you've done and believing in yourself as someone who is qualified to do the work. And I will tell you that if you are submitting a biosketch for whatever reason, you are. And it's time to own your qualifications. It's time to own your power and find the best way to present it. What you never want to do is compare yourself with the senior investigator who's been doing this for the last 15, 20 years. Okay, yes, your bias sketch may not look like that person's bias sketch, but it doesn't have to. Your bias sketch only needs to reflect you in the best possible light. So don't compare yourself with someone else and then feel bad about your contributions. Don't do that. Start with your contributions and figure out the best way to tailor your contributions to highlight you in the best possible light. Okay, the last thing I want to share with you is that, you know, many times in our research careers, we feel like we should get everything we need from our mentors. And oh my goodness, yes, we try to overload our mentors with giving us things that other people could help us with. I will tell you that somebody else can help you with your bias sketch. It doesn't have to be your primary research mentor. A near peer can help you. The librarian at your institution can help you. You can Google it and find tips about writing your bio sketch, or you can just start on your own and use these templates and the examples on the NIH website to create a first draft. And after you've created a first, after you've created a first draft, then ask your research mentor to weigh in and give you ideas and tips to sharpen the focus of your bio sketch. That's a good use of your mentor. A good use of your mentor is not to create the first draft because there's so many resources available to you to be able to do that. What you want to do is you want to bring your best to the table and then ask your mentor to sharpen the focus of your of your bias sketch. And, and, you know, you may not even necessarily need your mentor to do that if you have access to help to do that in a different way. So I'm just telling you that this is your career. You're leading it. Your mentor is not necessarily the person who, who, who's going to do everything for you. You're not a baby to be spoon fed. You're somebody who can create your bias sketch on your own and then bring it to somebody to help you bring it to the next level. And so I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to seek out resources that can help you write a great bio sketch. 
And I encourage you to keep practicing. The more you submit, the more your bias sketch is going to continue to be updated. I will tell you that there's one more thing I forgot to mention because this came up with um, my recent submission that I was doing is the the list of 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 your citations. So at the very end, you provide a link which shows you like which demonstrates your kind of like your public list, because on the bias sketch, you can only at most you can probably put probably 20, no more than 20 if it's four per section. So it's about 20 at most citations on your bias sketch. And if you have more than that, then they don't fit on the bias sketch. So you have to tailor your bias sketch to the opportunity and tailor which citations you want to show up in your contributions. But no matter what, you usually, or or at some point, or even if you don't, will have a, a longer list of citations eventually than you can put on your bias sketch. And even if you don't, you do want a place where somebody can just go click a link and see everything that you've published. And that's the link. And it's the only link that's actually allowed on the bias sketch. So sometimes you put a citation in and there's a, a, a link to the actual cita- to the actual manuscript or the article, you do want to get rid of all those links in your bias sketch because links are not allowed. Even when they're not active links, they're not, not allowed. But the only link that is allowed is a link to your bio sketch. And the, one of the best ways I see for, for creating that link is to go to the PubMed webpage, again, sign into your account. And if you go to your, bio, your dashboard, you can, you can go to manage my bibliography. And then there's an option for a link to share your bibliography. And you do want to make sure that's in there, even if you don't have so many citations, or at least you feel like you don't have enough publications. It's nice for reviewers if they choose to, to just click on the link and just see how much you have published or what areas you've published in. And over time, that list will grow. So you do want to keep it updated. And, and it'll, be, it'll be great just to have access to one link that kind of summarizes the story of your contributions through manuscripts and publications. Okay, so that's about all that I have as far as how to create a bias sketch. Clearly, this is, you know, my one perspective. I recommend that you, you know, talk about it with others. And definitely the, the key to creating a bias sketch is to just keep repeating the process. As you apply for grants, as you apply for opportunities, you will have the opportunity to create bias sketches and just take the opportunity and create it. And, and over time, you will have the bias sketch that you want. So definitely take the opportunity, create the bias sketch you want. And if you want to share any insights, please leave a voicemail on our podcast website, clinicianresearcherpodcast.com and we'll be happy to share your insights with our audience in a future episode. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. If you found the information in this episode to be helpful, don't keep it all to yourself. Someone else needs to hear it. So take a minute right now and share it. As you share this episode, you become part of our mission to help launch a new generation of clinician researchers who make transformative discoveries that change the way we do health.